0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska, that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Hey, good morning, guys. morning. morning. Grab your Bibles, please, and turn to the Book of Luke. Before we dive into the text, I just want to pray. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> Father, as we approach your word this morning and get ready to dive into the gospel of Luke again together as a church family, Lord, I am, I am deeply aware of some of the needs in our, in our church family this morning um, and, and really acutely aware of some of the blind spots that each of us have as we arrive at your word and as we gather together. So, Lord, I, just, I know that there are some of us here, God, who um, are parts of our hearts that have been darkened for a long time. And, and we need the truth of your word to speak into our lives and to set us free. And then yet there are others of us here this morning, Lord God, who are, are coming and we're gathering and we're joining. And we're here just to meet with you and to hear from your word and to be in your presence so God, I just pray that that's what would happen over the next few moments is that we would be um, captured um, by a picture of who you are, friend of sinners, but also not only the friend of sinners, Lord God, but the one who confronts the legalist deep within each of us, the one who confronts our pride and our arrogance and our attempting to save face and to prove that we are better than we really are. I pray that you would simultaneously come alongside of us and encourage us and also challenge and, encourage and, and change those places in our hearts that need it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. So this morning we're gathered here on May 10th, Mother's Day of 2015. There's a story in our community that some of you have probably heard over the last few weeks and no doubt many of you have probably had conversations about this. There was a high school teacher in our community that had an inappropriate sexual relationship with with a girl from the time that she was 14 to 15 years old until the time that she was almost 17. So no doubt if you have heard that story, you've had conversations or you've had thoughts about what that means and what that looks like and you have your own preset set of judgments regarding this story as you think about it. And if you're thinking about this for the first time, I'm certain that just by thinking about the idea of an adult man having a sexual relationship with a young teenage girl from the age of 14 forward, that you immediately are landing somewhere deep within your heart on some sort of judgment against that man immediately in this moment. Right now, what if that man walked into our congregation this morning to join with us and was sitting Right next to you at the table. I want you to think about where you would be in that moment. How would you engage with this person? Would you choose to say, I don't think it's really my place to get involved in what's happening in his life. I think I'm going to hide maybe behind my own activity. Busyness. Set of beliefs that may or may not be biblical. Biblical. Maybe some of you, like me, would maybe head to a place where you begin to ask, is that person truly repentant or are they not? Like, what would it look like for this man to walk into our place and show signs and evidence of repentance? And then at that point, would you engage him as a brother? Or if it was a she, would you engage her as a sister? Or would you stand on the other side of the room and treat them like they're your enemy? What place do you find yourself in now that you imagine this? This is the place that we dive into in our text. Look with me at Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. And which of them would love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. And turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So someone once said that a life of love is the grateful response of a sinner who has found true forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Say it again. A life of of love, is the grateful response of a sinner who has found true forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Why don't you think with me for a minute about the the world that we live in and what we have been taught to value by the world around us. We, We value trust until trusting actually costs us too much. We value forgiveness if we gain something in return. We value love when it's sexy. The words faith, forgiveness, and love have often been stripped of their meaning in the world that we live in. We think that faith is something that we exert if the payoff is worthwhile. Forgiveness is something that someone has to earn by not treating us wrongly anymore. Love has become more of an affection or a feeling or an emotion when we are attracted to something. This is where we meet Jesus in this text today. We meet him at this crossroads of worldly values versus kingdom principles. We are confronted, if you will, for the ways that we have bought into and begun to live like the world around us. Every one of us comes to the table this morning in really deep need of our deepest values and beliefs being challenged by the person and work of Jesus. And this is what happens in this text. Let me frame this out just a little bit more personally for each of us in case you haven't bought in yet. When it comes to faith, let us think about faith for a minute. Not my daughter faith, but the topic of faith. When it comes to faith, isn't it easier to talk about faith rather than to exert it? Wouldn't you agree? The reason is because we live in a culture that values talking about things, but not really living it out. And this is why we have the entire book of James, right? I'll show you my faith. I won't pretend to have faith or say that I have faith and then act differently when it comes to actually acting out my faith. James says, and you can talk all day long about your faith. I want to see it. We live in a culture, and for each of us, we struggle in this tension of talking about our faith versus exerting it. Right? But when it comes to forgiveness, think about forgiveness For a minute, don't don't you usually find it easier to demand that people forgive you and harder to extend forgiveness to others? Don't you find it to be true for you? I find it to be true for me. Maybe when it comes to love, don't you feel like your heart just swell and your emotions like run rampant? when you see that really sexy new thing that you've been wanting for a few years, could be a new car, could be a new camper, could be a new gun, could be a new tattoo, could be a new friend, new wife, new husband, new house, new anything. Don't you feel your heart swell in that moment? And we sometimes get distracted into thinking that that feeling and that emotion is love. And for those of you that have been married for longer than 10 minutes, right? You know. And the emotion went away a long time ago for some of us sometimes. Love is not necessarily a feeling that we feel when we see something we're attracted to. And yet we're driven by these things. We're driven to demand forgiveness from others while not exerting it ourselves. True forgiveness. It's easier for us to hold things over people's heads. You messed this up and you did that and here's my list of wrongs that you did, but but me like my my sin I would minimize that like it wasn't that big of a deal. We oftentimes are really good at magnifying the mistakes and sins of others while minimizing our own which is direct evidence that we have issues with forgiveness. This is where Jesus meets us in the text today, based on these three words. He has this interaction with the Pharisee and with this sinful woman, right? And what what we find in this story is, is this carefully crafted true story that actually happened in Luke puts it into his gospel in this moment, I think, for some surprisingly great purposes. I mean, one of the coolest things I see about this text that's totally sidelined but interesting to note is that Luke, more than any other gospel writer, uses women to, to draw out gospel implications for our lives. What do you think of the culture that, that they lived in? A Middle Eastern culture does not value women in the same way that we might in America. And yet Luke uses what might be misconstrued in a Middle Eastern culture as being the weaker things or the weaker people to draw out the power of Jesus at work in our lives. That's just a really cool thing to see there. You're here and you feel weak. You're here and you feel insignificant. You're here and you feel like, man, I'm just struggling to get by every day. You can rest assured that the power of Christ is available to you. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And what we talk about in this passage today is that we're talking about faith, forgiveness, and love. In fact, we see that these three words build on each other. Faith equals forgiveness equals love. Let me do it the opposite way. Faith equals forgiveness equals love. Like if you take one away, it actually weakens the other two. They build on each other. Faith equals forgiveness equals love. You say that you have faith. Then the equal of that, what the outcome or the result of that is that you understand your deep need for Jesus. And your understanding of the amount of forgiveness that has been extended to you is priceless and immeasurable. And so then, the way in which you are able to love your God, which is proven by the way that you love people around you is deep. Like, you don't have to give in to cultural, worldly versions of love anymore. And even if you have, you can walk away from that knowing that God has forgiven you and you can now love deeply. It is way too easy for us to get blindly caught up in relegating these major themes of Scripture down to the religious things that we engage in on a weekly basis. Every time we come face-to-face with Jesus, we learn that in him alone, faith, forgiveness, and love are not just religious things that we engage in, but they are daily expressions of relationship with God. I don't know if I want to jump into that person's mess. Really? Do you trust God? Do you trust God in the midst of that? Are you hiding from what God may have been calling you to all along? I don't know if I want to dig into a relationship with that person because they're messy. Really. Do you understand the amount of forgiveness that has been extended to you? And do you walk in that? Are you able to love your brother and your sister in Christ? Are you able to love God for the immense love that he has poured out on you? Every time we come face to face with Jesus, we learn that in him, faith, forgiveness, and love are daily expressions of relationship with God. In fact, they're so integrated or interrelated that what we learn is that faith equals forgiveness equals love. So Philip Ryken uh, commenting on this text, especially regarding the sinful woman. He says this. He says, whether she was a gossip or a call girl, she was still a sinner. It doesn't matter. What the issues were in her life, she was still a sinful person. We could spend the rest of our time here trying to dissect what kind of sinful deeds she had done, but it doesn't matter. Let's not get hung up on those semantics and details. Whether she was a gossip or a call girl, she was still a sinner. Which is why she came to see Jesus. Because sinful as she was, she knew that Jesus was a friend of sinners. How do you approach Jesus? How do you approach him when you come to him? Do you fully trust him? Are you (laughs) placing your faith in him? Do you approach Jesus wondering maybe, uh, what you have to do to gain his affection or his love or his attention or his presence? Do you approach Jesus fearfully wondering what he will do to you if you let him down? Do you approach him in brokenness? And Does your, does your public worship of Jesus actually cost you something? Like, listen, guys, when we, when we approach Jesus, we must always approach him as broken and sinful people who publicly express our affection for him in costly ways. Look at verses 36 through 38. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. I mean, get this picture with me just for a minute, right? It's a Pharisee. He's a popular religious man. If you will, a popular pastor maybe in that community. And he decides to throw a party. Right? He decides to throw a party in his home, and he invites Jesus to come there because he wants to get to know this other popular religious guy that's walking around town. And Jesus, no doubt, has already got this great reputation following along behind him. And as the Pharisee invites him, Jesus comes in and sits down at the table now, once you get a picture of what this would look like, this will look like something similar to my house this afternoon in just a few hours. Like, not everybody that comes over to my house this afternoon for the graduation party is going to fit in my house at one time. And what's going to happen is people are going to scatter throughout the backyard and the front yard and the basement. Heaven forbid if you go there. <laughs> it's going to be people in our home, in our yard. There's going to be people sitting on our back patio around the fire pit. I'll probably be standing in my garage with my grill and my pipe. (laughs) And so this party would have been very similar. When this man threw this party, he would have thrown a party, and it wouldn't have just been relegated to inside the house. It probably would have been outside in the courtyard somewhere under a shelter. And the entire neighborhood would have shown up for this because it would have been the talk of the town. Very similar to many of the graduation parties you might go to today. And then in walks this woman. Verse 37. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Luke refers to her this way a number of times throughout the text. A woman of the city who was a sinner. Get this. Like like Luke doesn't just say, hey, she just did some bad things. She just made a few mistakes recently. He's not minimizing the fact that this woman is a sinner. We should learn something from that in regards to our relationship with Jesus. We approach Jesus as sinner. We approach the Father as saint. Get that. Get that for a minute. We approach Jesus as sinner, and he applies his blood to us. And then we approach our Father as saint because of the work that Jesus did. It's a simultaneous thing. And don't ever minimize your need for Jesus a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So the simple woman comes to Jesus, right? She comes to him in a, in a public gathering of religious people. I mean... Seriously, is that the first place that she really wants to go? It's evidence of repentance in this woman's life, right? What's the evidence? Part of the evidence is that she gathers with the people of God. She gathers in a place where other religious people would be. Normally in a setting like this, a woman like her would not get past the outer courtyard. But she comes right into this inner place where Jesus is at. Weeping and crying, washing his feet, drying his feet with her hair. It costs her something too, doesn't it? It's an expensive gift that she has. Some would say that the alabaster jar was worth maybe a few weeks to a few months to maybe even more than a year of wages spent on Jesus. Because of her adoration and her worship and her attention placed upon him, knowing that he... He's a friend of sinners. This is the kind of vulnerable and open and transparent living that happens in each of us when Jesus changes us. When we approach Jesus as sinful people, this is what happens. We must always approach Jesus as broken and sinful people, publicly expressing our affection for him in costly ways. Because faith equals forgiveness equals love. Philip Riken again, commenting on this text in verse 39, he says this. He says, the Pharisee, I mean, get this. There's a a nice parallel, not parallel, but contrast happening, right? First, we learn about the woman, the sinful woman coming to the Pharisee's house. And then next, we get this engagement with this Pharisee. And there's this contrast between two different people. Don't hear me wrong, because both of these people are equally in need of Jesus. There's just... Evidence of repentance in, 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 in one and, and no evidence in the other. Namely, in one, there's the joy and the adoration of Jesus and the living vulnerably and transparently in front of others. And then there's, now we get into the Pharisee, right? Philip Ryken, when he's commenting on this, says this. says the, the Pharisee had no room for grace in his theology. He believed that grace was unavailable to sinners like that woman, and that it was unnecessary for a righteous man like himself, right? Unnecessary for a righteous man like himself. Again, man, like how do you approach Jesus? How do you come into his presence? Are you critical of him? You might say, no, I would never be critical of Jesus. Really, are you critical of his word? Like when his word directs you to live in a certain way, are you critical of the way Jesus leads you? And are you critical of what you see Jesus doing in scripture? Are you critical of what you see other Christians doing when they're living in light and obedience to the truth of God's word? Are you critical of them? Do you find it difficult to trust Jesus? Are you cynically trying to find fault with Jesus? Do you think that somehow like you're stacking up merits of good behavior that that make you acceptable somehow? Have you somehow bought into the idea that there is hope for you unlike those other hopeless people who've melted down their lives? You might say, no, that's not me. Then do you refuse to engage in people's lives who are really messy? It's far too easy to, to, to blindly approach Jesus, once again, as a Pharisee who hides behind the deeds of fake righteousness while demeaning others for their unrighteousness. Listen, as we approach this text, it is way too easy to find ourselves as the sinful woman and to say, I would never be the Pharisee, but let me correct all of us. I mean, I love you guys just enough this morning to say, that deep inside of every one of us in this room, there is a Pharisee that is kicking and screaming to get out. There is. It's far too easy to justify our sin by cloaking it in a thousand excuses while condemning other people who've actually trusted in Christ and is evidenced in their lives. It's far too easy to have a twisted view of grace that leads us to believe that we are in a good position with God while condemning others as hopeless and untouchable. God, Lord, forgive us for acting this way. We cannot approach Jesus believing our own cynical criticism that results in deceptively degrading and betraying other sinful people who need Jesus too. This is the truth of God's word spoken in our midst this morning. If you feel nothing in these moments, you should be afraid that the Father is not disciplining you with his word in this moment. Look at verse 39. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself... Catch that for a minute, right? The Pharisee is caught up in his own mind. He's stuck in his own brain. He doesn't even say it out loud. He just thinks it in his head. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts deeply, and it reveals, and it lays open, naked in front of our Father in heaven, our deepest intentions. So right in front of the word embodied in Christ, this Pharisee begins to think. How often have you and I begun to think in ways that were unhealthy? I guarantee you that a few minutes ago, as I shared that story about the high school teacher, every one of us, for at least a split second, had a thought. At least, if you're unwilling to admit that, then your heart is cold. Your heart is cold. And when the Pharisee had invited him, he saw this and he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he's questioning whether Jesus is actually walking in the truth or not. Because if you're not a prophet, you're found to be a false prophet. By the Old Testament laws, you get stoned. Not like smoking a joint out back stoned. You get stoned with a rock. The Pharisee is actually questioning the word of God questioning the word of God. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is. I cannot believe. If this man were real, he would not let this woman touch him. He would not get anywhere close. He would say this, like, that's none of my business. I don't want anything to do with her. That's not my place to get involved there. And I and Jesus would beg to differ. Like, as a community and as a church and as a family, we are, we are called to step into the mess of relationships, of difficulty, of sin. We're called to step into the mess and step alongside brothers and sisters and say, hey, that's sinful. That's, that's deceptive. That's that's." That's darkness. We're not living there. The truth has set us free. Like the truth of Jesus Christ has set us free to not live secretively in bondage anymore. And yet, this Pharisee is in bondage to his own thoughts. He says, "Man, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, and who is touching him. For she is a sinner." Pharisee has this conversation with himself. And what happens is he, he basically believes his own rhetoric. He's very critical of Jesus. And he gives into this deception of believing that Jesus is actually in the dark about something. Like, you really think that Jesus doesn't know that? Really? Who's deceived? I mean, this Pharisee knows the scriptures inside and out. If you think you know the scriptures, this Pharisee knew it better. He knew it better. He sat in more church services than either you or I will ever go to. He's got more Bible college degrees on his wall. Came from a lineage and a background and a family. He knew every religious word and how to say it right. Certain of it. You don't get to become a Pharisee without that. And yet he's questioning Jesus. Tell me who's living in deception in this passage and who wouldn't appear. Like at first glance, you would not think that the Pharisee was living deceived. You would not think that, but he's living in utter darkness. Then he moves from that to degrading this sinful woman. He minimizes his own sinfulness. Oh, that wasn't a big deal. But if you give the Pharisee a long enough time, he'll actually make it the woman's fault that he thought the way that he did. How about that? How about that for deep, deceptive sin? He's minimizing his own sinfulness and magnifying hers. We cannot approach Jesus believing our own cynical criticism that results in deceptive, degrading, and betrayal of other people who need Jesus as well. Because faith equals forgiveness, which equals love. And if we understand that, then we will live in those gospel truths We'll live in those and we will refuse to be uprooted from them. And like when we are uprooted from them, we'll walk right back into them and say, man, God, give me the faith. Help me to understand the depth of forgiveness you've extended towards me. Help me to understand the love you've extended towards me. and Help me to live out of that towards my, not only you, Lord, but my brothers and my sisters at the table with me. We cannot approach Jesus. Believe in our own cynical criticism that results in deceptively degrading and betraying other sinful people who need Jesus too. Because faith equals forgiveness equals love. And the Christian life, guys, is it's not about having faith in our own functional saviors. Like my list of deeds of done right or wrong. Christian life is not about receiving forgiveness through our righteousness or our goodness. It's not about loving God when he comes through with us and then hating him when he doesn't. Christian life is all about faith in Christ alone, receiving forgiveness from Christ alone, and loving Christ alone. Faith equals forgiveness equals love. Philip Ryken then says this. He says that this story from the life of Christ does something more than merely show the contrast between two people. Like up until now, we've been getting this contrast, and it does something more than that. It goes deeper than that. It also tells us what actually makes the difference. In other words, forgiveness is the difference maker. Write that down. Forgiveness is the difference maker in this entire Story. I want you to think with me for just a minute. Think with me this way. Put yourself in these shoes. At some point, many of you surrender your life to Jesus. And you place your faith in him for the forgiveness of sin, past, present, and future. But then something weird happened to you, right? Something strange happened as you, quote, unquote, grew up in him. As you, quote, unquote, matured as a good Christian, right? And what happened was this. You who once trusted in Christ to save you and change you, you begin to hide in your good behavior. Begin to hide in your good behavior, attempting to save yourself. Though you were already saved, you attempted to save yourself. You became slaves not only to the remaining sin that Jesus is working out of you and that you are dying to, But you became a slave to earning forgiveness, which results in the forgiveness that you are receiving being only an inch deep. Which then results in the love that you extend towards God and others around you being only an inch deep. We will love more deeply, we will forgive more deeply. Because faith that is deeply rooted in Christ receives forgiveness that is deeply rooted in Christ, which results in deep, affectionate, active love for Christ. Look at verses 40 through 47. Jesus tells this story, right? After he has a little bit of interaction with the Pharisee and with the woman, he goes here. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now catch this, like, the Pharisee was only thinking this in his head. He hadn't said it out loud. But Jesus, Jesus like read your mind, right? The whole word of God cutting deeply. So Jesus responds. It must have been a freaky moment for the Pharisee to have been sitting there thinking something in his mind. To be self-deceived about the truth. And then suddenly to have the word of God speak in to the darkness in that moment must have been insanely crazy, Right? To so Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Which of them will love him more? <coughs> Simon answered, The one, I suppose, catch that. This is you and I. Well, uh, I'm guessing it, it must have been the one that, because we don't want to be wrong, right? So we start taking it really slow at that point. We start here. We start making the judgment. Dude, she's sinful. What are you doing hanging out with her? Right? And then when we get, and we get attacked with the truth, and we're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What, what do you mean? You want me to, hmm, I don't know. Like what's happening in that moment is we're being confronted for the deep Pharisee that lies within each of us. And that causes us to live in secluded, isolation, believing that our religious activity actually saves us. And we don't engage and we hide and we pretend and we fake it. We're not like the sinful woman. It's proof inside of each of us. (coughs) Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. I think Jesus uses that wording intentionally. You judge. You've judged rightly, actually. In that moment, I'm thinking, the Pharisees gotta be getting all giddy, right? Oh, I'm a happy legalist. Thank you for letting me know. I judged rightly. This lies within each one of us. Wanting to make judgments against other people without actually stepping into the mess in a gospel-centered way. We hide in our judgments. We hide in those. And the reverse of that is true too. Like when we don't believe we can arrive at a judgment, but we actually do, hope you can follow me on this. When we don't believe that we can arrive at a judgment, but deep inside we actually do, we claim we don't know therefore we don't need to engage like i don't know how to engage with that brother or that sister in this season and what they're going through like they can just sit on the other side of the table i'm going to say nothing though i know <laughs> you judged rightly verse 44 then turning towards the woman he said to simon simon do you see this woman like what jesus is really asking is do you really see this woman do you really see? Look at look look next to you to the people next to you. Look around your table. Look next to you in the seats in the back. Do you really see the person at the table next to you? Do you really know them? Do you really understand them? Are you hiding out shamefully rather than digging in in love? He says, "Do you see this woman? I entered your house." You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, wait a minute. Stop there. Doesn't that sound like he's saying, dude, because she loved me a ton, I've saved her? No. No, don't read it that way. You got to get your grammar right when you look at this portion of the text. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. He's saying there's evidence here. There's proof that this woman has received the depths of forgiveness because of the depths of her faith. And the way that you're seeing it is because of the way that she loves Jesus. I hear so many young people walking around saying, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because I came from a Christian family. I'm a Christian because I went to a camp somewhere. I'm a Christian because I say I'm a Christian. No, show me by the way that you love Jesus that you're a Christian, and until then, I will not believe it. Because if I were to tell you that I believe that you are a Christian just because you think you are, I would be sending you to hell, and not preaching the gospel to you. Think about this for a moment. Yourself, you need to hear this too. I need to hear this, too, that there must be some evidence of me loving God in my daily life. Jesus says, man, this woman's forgiven. I see it. I know she's forgiven. I can go ahead and tell her that it's forgiven because all I'm doing is drawing attention to what's already happened in heaven next to my father. This is the job of a church and church leaders is to say, hey, you know what? I think you are forgiven. I see the way that you're loving God. You're loving him sacrificially. For he who is forgiven little loves little. It's the end of the text. Having a hard time loving people? Having a hard time engaging the mess? Stepping into that? Maybe on the flip side of that, some of you are finding this easier in this season of your life. This This is the work of Jesus in you. I'm so encouraged to know that some of you are willing to dive into the mess because the truth of God's word drives you to do so. You're willing to dive into counter-cultural behavior, though the world raises you and teaches you to act differently in regards to loving God and loving your neighbor. You're acting in the way that God calls you to. This story, we learn this in this story. We learn that we can have right theology and love wrongly. You can have right theology and love wrongly. You can know the truth but excuse your desire to love others you hear me? You hear me? Like, you can know the truth. Like, you can hear it um, conceptually in your mind. You can say, yeah, I know those things. I've read the Bible inside and out. I don't even need to read that thing anymore. I'm not even sure I need to hear the preacher on Sunday mornings anymore. I know. I've got some good theology put together. I've written some books maybe or some letters or some essays or whatever it may be for you. Right? Knowing the truth, but then excusing your desire to not love others. This is proof in your life. Proof in your life. You have right theology but you love wrongly. Another one is this that shallow forgiveness equals shallow love. <laughs> Believing that you're not that bad, minimizing your sin and saying, it's not that bad, I'm only human, it's not a big deal. Believing that you're not that bad equals living that isn't loving. Believing that you're not that bad equals living that isn't loving. Show me people that are struggling to love God and live rightly and live obediently and dive into the mess. Show me people that are hiding behind their behavior with their secrets and their deceptive lifestyles. And I'll show you people who are struggling to love God because they've not understood what it has been to been loved by a man who died on the cross brutally for their sins. It's become boring to them. And deep forgiveness equals deep love, though, doesn't it? Like for many of you in this room, this is encouraging to hear this. Deep forgiveness equals deep love. What's happening for you is that you believe that you are that bad. You know deep down inside I am a sinful, dirty, untouchable person. But Jesus came from a clean place to touch a dirty, sinful person like me. And therefore, I've been healed in front of my Father in heaven. I am now a saint. I get to walk like it. I get to live like it. I get to live openly, vulnerably, transparently within my community of believers. And I know the person next to me and I see them and I take risks because Jesus took risks to save me. I'm not about to let my brother or my sister live in that same deceptive darkness as I once lived, but Jesus is now using me on mission to seek and to save that which is lost, even if that which was lost has some of the best language on the face of the planet and seems to think that they know Jesus when they really don't. Jesus dove into the mess between both people, the vulnerable, transparent, sinful woman And the arrogant, prideful, pretty sure he knew everything Pharisee who had excuses for everything that happened in his life. Jesus dove into that. That's where we get to live. I mean, that's an encouraging word for all of us because we can live there and we don't have to be afraid of it and we don't have to hide from it either. We just live openly. So deep forgiveness equals deep love. Believing that you are that bad equals living that is sacrificially loving. That's the truth. Philip Ryken notes here that we often treat Jesus the same way as the Pharisee. Catch this. I wanted to be sure that as I preached this message, you and I didn't have the opportunity to just land squarely with the sinful woman because again, that's way too easy for us and I would be doing you and I both a disservice in the text if I just focused on that. So think of the Pharisee that lives deep within each of you and I. We often treat Jesus the same way as the Pharisee. We surrender to him by inviting him into our hearts. And then we neglect the privileges. Catch this. Eh? We neglect the privileges of costly public worship and greeting him in prayer. Which results in us remaining indifferent to the presence of Jesus in our lives. And then we begin treating Jesus, the Son of God, with shocking contempt. In other words, we treat Jesus with contempt when we take him for granted and neglect the privileges of scripture, community, and prayer. I've known many so-called quote-unquote Christians who refuse to engage in these costly disciplines of worship, whether that be the public Sunday gathering or the midweek gospel gathering or the time spent in prayer or the time spent in study of God's word. And the time spent with receiving counsel from brothers and sisters whom the gospel is at work in, also. Known people who take that for granted, and what's happening is they are treating Jesus with shocking contempt while pointing fingers at everyone else around them. We will only love deeply as we are forgiven deeply because faith that is deeply rooted in Christ receives forgiveness that is deeply rooted in Christ, which results in deep, affectionate love. For Christ, faith equals forgiveness equals love. Let me invite just a um, a couple of our musicians to come forward as I begin to conclude and wrap this up for us this morning. In verses 48 through 50, at the end of this text, we see Jesus making a bold declaration. J.C. Ryle says that these verses are A public and authoritative declaration of forgiveness that is received through faith. Hear this again. These verses are a public and authoritative declaration of forgiveness that is received through faith. Think with me for a minute about public declarations, right? We've learned some things about that even just this week for some in our church family. When you die, the newspaper publicly declares your position in a grave, right? And when you're born, the newspaper publicly declares your birth, your life. Jesus in this text is making a public declaration, really, regarding the woman and the Pharisee. There's an implication of a declaration for the Pharisee if you catch the declaration for the sinful woman. You ever wonder why it's so hard for you to live in contentment as a forgiven Christian? Do you ever wonder why... Why all of your moving around from this to that, from this fad to that fad, from this practice to that practice, from this job to that job, from this girl to that girl, from this dude to that dude, from this drug to that behavior, from this counselor to that counselor, from this book to that book, from this church to that church, from this gospel community to that gospel community. You ever wonder why all of your discontentment and moving around doesn't save you? because you're not living in the declaration that Christ has made over you. That's why. For some of you, for some of you, you've not leaned into that declaration yet and placed your trust and faith in You Ever wonder why all of your effort spent on behavior modification hasn't changed anything about your life? Only the declaration of who Christ says you are will ever result in the change you're hoping would happen. Listen, if you've trusted in Jesus, you've received forgiveness through the cross of Christ, you've been set free to love him with all that you have, with everything that you are. You don't have to fear of being a fake or a failure. You don't have to cover up with your good or bad behavior. You don't have to pretend. He's declared you to be dead to your old self and alive in him. He's declared you to be hidden with him. The scriptures say that our life is hid with Christ. The implication of that is you can hide elsewhere. But this woman chooses not to hide elsewhere. She hides in Christ with the Pharisee hides in his thoughts, hides in himself, hides in his lifestyle. In this woman, we see a picture of Christ who sets us free and makes bold declarations. Catch the declaration with me. Look at verse 48. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. i say it again for you. Your sins are forgiven. If in the moment that Jesus looks at you and says your sins are forgiven... You say your response is, my sins aren't that bad, anyways. Guess what? You haven't received his forgiveness yet. I want you to, I want you to receive that. Know that the paycheck and the penalty for our lives and our sin is death. And that's what we're living in. That's the declaration over our lives. We are in a grave, unable to breathe. And the moment that Jesus begins to breathe into you and breathe forgiveness into you, you recognize, well, I was dead. My sins were horrifying. My heart is broken over the nastiness deep inside. I no longer want to make excuses for my lifestyle. I don't want to blame others for my mistakes. I just want to rest in the declaration that Jesus just made over me, which is this. My deep sins have been forgiven deeply. Placing my faith in him because God awoke in my heart, gave me the faith to believe and trust in him. Now I've been forgiven deeply. I can love deeply. He says your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table, this is always going to happen. This is always going to be happening. There's always going to be somebody else at the table who's going to criticize. Right? Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves: Who is this? Hey, who, who is this who forgives sins? And he said to the woman, like he doesn't even acknowledge them, doesn't even acknowledge their criticism, doesn't even acknowledge their stupidity, doesn't even acknowledge their blindness. He just looks right past them and looks at the woman and he says, Hey, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So forgiveness of sin is complete. It's complete. You can walk in that. Your sins are forgiven capital R if you want, like underline it in the text. Criticism of you and of Jesus doesn't change Jesus' declaration of who you are. You're still that person who cares what they say. Who is this Jesus, right, who even forgives sins? Let them criticize. Let them criticize you and the work of God in your life. Don't even pay attention to him. Keep your eyes locked on Jesus. Keep following hard after him. Keep walking in the declaration that he's made over your life. If you've never heard that declaration over your life, and believe it this morning and be set free. Live in peace. Go in peace. Christian life is all about faith in Christ alone. Receiving forgiveness from Christ alone and loving deeply in Christ alone. Life of love is the grateful response of a sinner who has found true forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Faith equals forgiveness equals love. Just you stand with me and let's pray. Father, we bless you this morning and we thank you for this word. Lord, we thank you for the, for the work of your word. We know, God, that when your word is spoken, it, it goes out, it does not return void. And Lord, I just sense and I know that even if no one else in this gathering this morning senses their deep need to be confronted, challenged, and encouraged by this text, that, that I needed this, I needed you this morning to speak this to me. God, I pray for, for those that are gathered in this room, God, that, that you would continue a work that you began, and that this morning, God, if you awoken hearts to you, but they would respond in faith, understanding the depth of forgiveness extended to them and then being able to respond in really deep love. Lord, let us not be like the Pharisee who doesn't even give the typical normal greeting for someone that comes into his house, which is to kiss him and to, to wash their feet and to, to greet them. Help us not to be like the Pharisee, but help us to be like the woman. Lord, please confront that deep Pharisee within each of us. Help us to be that woman who comes to you. Help us to respond in faith, which equals forgiveness, which equals love. Help us to live lives of love that is the grateful response of us as sinners who have found true forgiveness in the work of your son at the cross who sets us free and now makes a declaration of Of life over us. Jesus' name. Everybody said? And there's going to be two of us near the front to pray with you guys. Do we just invite you? If you need prayer, please come forward. We'd like to pray with you. Thanks for letting me preach this morning. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.